0: And you can still have a great day if you can define your parenting success, not based on your child's behavioral outcomes. If I showed up and did the best I could with the tools that I've been given, yeah, I did a great job. I did a great job.
1: Anyone who chooses to work in the disability community, to me, is an angel. chosen a profession to work with kids or teenagers or adults with any kind of challenges, be it medical or psychological or any type of disability or diagnosis, you're an angel. Today's guest, Rose Reef, is a therapist that works with those who are in the disability community and their families, and she's wonderful and such a love and has such a passion for serving and helping families. And you know, that's my love language. So I'm really happy to bring her on the show today. And she's going to talk about burnout versus compassion fatigue. And what the heck do we do about this? I hope you enjoy the conversation. Good to be with you
0: welcome to the show thank you so much for having me I am truly delighted to be here
1: I'm so glad well tell our listeners how did you get into this work that you do
0: Sure so the work that I do uh, for folks who who I haven't met before uh, is that I am a mental health therapist who works uh, exclusively, with disabled and neurodivergent adults, and with family members who love them, so that's a big old mouthful, which basically um, means that I, I work, yeah I work with people with disabilities and the people who love them, um, specifically around mental health and the unique challenges that that come from disability, and how I got into it was. You know, for many, many years, I was a case manager and I ran group homes and independent living departments, um, supporting adults with disabilities. And in that role, I saw that there just were not a lot of mental health supports for the adults that I worked with. There was a lot for younger kids, but then, you know, after the age of 22, it was sort of that cliff that we all know exists where all the supports fall off and mental health was a big one, um. And it was really distressing because my clients would be going through just regular life stuff, you know, the death of a parent or anxiety about starting a new job, you know, just things that all of us know that are familiar feelings. And I could never find a mental health therapist who wanted to support them because of their IQ, because of their autism, because of different issues. And so finally, you know, it took me about 10 years, but I recognized, hey, if I think there needs to be this person, I could be this person. And so I went back to grad school and uh, got a master's degree in um, a very specific kind of counseling. The name is not super clear, but it's rehabilitation counseling, which is the only training uh, at the graduate level to work specifically with people with disabilities and mental health. So I I got that degree and then started my practice. And really when I set out, it was just with the intention of, of working with disabled adults. That was the population that I wanted to serve. But then after being in practice, I don't know, maybe six months or so, I started to get a lot of interest and calls from parents and they would say, you know, I, I heard you speak or I read your blog post or whatever. And I just feel like you understand the challenges a little bit better. I've, I've tried to explain this to other therapists and I think they think I'm over dramatizing things and, (laughs) you know, like I'm stuck on the carousel and it would be so easy to just step off and, and they're just not seeing the reality of what my life is like because of my child's needs, whatever those needs are. And so at that point, I realized, oh, here's this whole other area of unmet needs, which is the mental health challenges unique to raising kids with disabilities. And so, gosh, that was nine years ago (laughs) that I started the practice. Yeah, it's been a long time you know now my practice is maybe not surprisingly quite full and it's about 50/50 split between working with disabled adults and then working with with parents
1: ah oh, thank you so much you are my hero
0: rose <laughs> so i'm
1: serious thank you so so much i have used compassion fatigue and burnout as if they're synonyms and you have you have really distinguished the two and I want our listeners to hear the difference. Yes, there's similarities, but there is something that does distinguish the two. So
0: please, please tell us. Oh, I would love to. You're speaking my language. So yeah, burnout is maybe just best thought of as just kind of weariness with something. This is this is stale. This is I'm doing the same thing every day. There's nothing new and challenging here. I am just a little bit burnt out on this um, you know, whatever this is, right. Whether it's making lunches for our kids, lunch boxes in the morning, right. Talk about burnout. Like, oh my goodness, I'm counting the days <laughs> until I never have to pack a lunch again. You know, so that's just kind of, oh, I'm, I'm tired of this. And the solution to burnout is pretty simple, right? We, we change up the tasks. We change the demands. We take a break from the demands. Um, we delegate them to somebody else for a bit. We, we change them somehow. And and then we're no longer feeling burnt out. And it's easy to renew our energy and find new appreciation for the new things that we're doing. Compassion fatigue, and I want to give you credit because I think a lot of people do what you do, which is, or what you've done, which is use them interchangeably. But it is actually a very different thing. So compassion fatigue, for folks who haven't heard that term before, is a concept that was first studied in like the late 80s, early 90s, in groups of professional caregivers. So people like clergy and EMS and mental health workers like myself um, was, was sort of the first people where it was recognized. Nursing was another big field where it's been studied. And basically what it is, is when you spend so much of your time supporting people who are experiencing trauma, you start to live this secondary trauma of you know, feeling ineffective, feeling that no matter what I do, I'm not creating real change. Am I really supporting this person or these people? It, it really starts to change your worldview, right whereas with burnout I can still see that the world is a good place I can still appreciate and have gratitude I just don't enjoy the 10 minutes in the morning when I'm making the lunches but then that's over <laughs> and it's not it's not getting me down compassion fatigue is truly we call it a vicarious trauma or a secondary trauma and it has the same influence as you know first round trauma on our brain, on our biology, on our physiology. And we see the same impact over time to our health, right? We see that people who are experiencing compassion fatigue have problems with blood pressure, have problems just with their, with their general health, with their weight, with their sleep, with turning to unhealthy coping mechanisms, things like drugs and alcohol to avoid the pain of, of what they're experiencing every day. So What's starting to happen now is that there's this shift in recognizing that, oh, there's this huge group that we've left out of the research on compassion fatigue, and that is family caregivers, parents, spouses, people who are taking care of someone who is disabled and watching someone that you love, even if it's just one person versus a caseload, it's that's your whole world, right? And I know your listeners know that. So this is something that when I'm meeting with parents in my counseling office, we talk a lot about recognizing the signs of compassion fatigue, naming it, and knowing that, you know, whereas burnout can be sort of quickly resolved with a weekend away and taking a break and changing up your responsibilities, compassion fatigue takes so much longer to build up and it takes real intention every single day, um, to prevent the impact from overwhelming you and, and leading to that negativity and that depression that can come from it.
1: And that makes sense because I feel like when I reflect back, yes, I've done self-care and yes, I've taken breaks, but it didn't necessarily change because it's such a deeper place that it goes. It's not just I'm tired and, oh, I need a break from like a thousand tasks that I do every day, every week. It's so much deeper. So if I'm sitting in your office, Rose, and I'm sharing with you that I am overwhelmed and I describe my, my caregiving life, how would you help me if I am stuck in the mindset of I can't change, it can't change, it's never going to change, I'm stuck, What would you say to me first?
0: First, I would want to get a real clear roadmap of where you might hope to go. Because there's no point affecting change that isn't meaningful to you. I'm not going to recommend that you start exercising if exercising was never top on your list, right? So first thing is just to say, if, if our conversations helped you make real change, the kind that had a big impact on your life, what might be different a year from now, say? and getting a very clear vision of what that is. And for some people it's, yeah, I want to get back to running. I want to get back to book club. I want to, um, you know, know that I can call my sister on the phone every night and not be interrupted. You know, whatever it is, everybody has their thing that they're they're missing and they're craving, their thing that lit them up before that they'd never see how they can get back to. And then just figuring out what are what are small incremental ways that we can build towards that? You know, some of that is kind of tasky stuff, right? Like, who can we delegate to do certain things for you so that you get that time to do it? Um, and some of it sort of bridges the gap between taskiness and like the to-dos, but also the mindset. Um, a big one that I, I write about a lot on my blog is parents have this vigilance, this hyper-awareness, right? Right. That we might be having a conversation, but if your child's in the house, your ear is on, you're listening in the other room, right? You know, you are you can hear something beeping in the kitchen that they've gotten into something that they shouldn't, you know. So even if you say, I'm going to go in my home office and call my sister and have that meaningful connection that I've been missing... If you're in your house at the same time as your child, you're not really getting it done because you're still gonna have that hyper-awareness of of what they're doing. So saying, you know, hey, maybe it's as simple as when you want to call your sister, you go for a walk around the neighborhood while you do that. Or even you just go take the car around the corner and park it where your child can't see you and come find you, you know. And as silly as that sounds, like creating that mental space of I am stepping out of my caregiver role. I am reminding myself that I have values and purpose and um, passions outside of my child, that is really what gives people the steam to say, oh, I liked the way that felt. I want to do that again.
1: Yes. Yes. And Rose, how do we let moms know that they have permission to do this? Like, yes, you do. Yes, you do have permission. Like you are so worth. Engaging in those things that light you up or like make you feel good or yummy or cozy or inspired.
0: Yeah. Imagine that you're not talking to yourself because we are all horrible in the ways that we talk to ourselves. We say mean and nasty and untrue things that we would never say to anybody else. So I say, I want you to instead imagine that you are talking to your best friend or your daughter when she's grown up or... Um, just another kind woman who's influenced you, right? And I want you to say what you would say to her if she were in this position, if she were stuck believing, I can't leave my child. I'm the only one who can do all the things, you know, my husband will never get it right. And that would be the end of the world. Because if you heard a woman that you love saying those things, you would, you would gently challenge her, right? You would say, well, hang on that. That's not fully true. Let's, let's think about what else might be true here. Um, and you would give her that confidence that she was worth doing something fun just for herself. And that's what, that's the way we have to all learn how to talk to our own selves.
1: It sounds like self-compassion, which I'm reading on this, this year. And, uh, gosh, if we could just talk nicely without judgment to ourselves, And I heard, I read somewhere, I don't know where I saw this, probably just in my noodling around the internet, just like looking for great articles on self-compassion. I saw somewhere where it said that self-compassion is a form of self-care. What would you say to that?
0: It absolutely is. It, I like to describe it to my clients. It's almost like learning a foreign language, Ah. right? Like you kind of have to be given some scripts at first because it's so unnatural. None of us talk to ourselves this way. Um, so, you know, to say every day I'm going to look myself in the mirror and practice saying one thing I did that I'm proud of, you know, one way that I showed up for myself. And kind of build the small exercises like that to where it becomes comfortable. Again, almost like speaking a foreign language. Like at first all you can say is, Where's the bus stop? But then <laughs> over time you you can get more creative and build on that. So that that's where I like to start with with the folks that I support in my practice is. Um just start starting very, very small, very almost rote statements and and um scripts for them to use to where then it becomes more second nature to talk in that way
1: that's so good, and it's so hard because it feels really silly, but we do need to it's like we have to retrain our brains we have to shift the stories in our heads
0: right another another tactic that I'll use sometimes is sometimes i'll ask my clients you know what's What's something you would say to your younger self if if you could go back and give her advice? And they'll, they'll say whatever they say. And, you know, it's usually you're not as fat as you think you are. You know, wear the bikini. It's stuff like that. And then I say, okay, now I want you to hop in the DeLorean, go 20 years in the future. What could future you say to you right now that would be just as resonant, you know? And and just try to imagine what will my future self be grateful that I did today, that I talked to myself in this way and kind of build from there. That's another helpful one. That's a
1: good one. I'm totally stealing that Rose. Cause I always love asking moms, you know, to, to say, okay, dear younger me, you know, what would you say? So good. Anything else, anything else that is like in your toolkit that you make sure that you impart to caregivers?
0: I mean, so much of that is, is unique, of course, just depending on what each family is up against the big one though Learning that it is possible to disengage your own mental health and well-being from your child's, that your child can have a horrible day where they're just overwhelmed, totally dysregulated, having meltdowns that you don't, you can't understand the reason for, and you can still have a great day if you can define your parenting success, not based on your child's behavioral outcomes, right? Just based on did I follow you know the precepts that I know the things that are true that if my child is dysregulated, okay you know we call them the three R's uh, regulate relate reason I, that's the that's the formula that I need to follow I can't start trying to reason with them before they're physically regulated, you know and so if I followed through on that and I did what I could to help them re regulate yeah, I did did it right. I did a good thing. And no matter how they responded, you know, yeah, I can take that and try to learn from it and see what worked well and what didn't and what could I try different next time. But if I showed up and did the best I could with the tools that I've been given from, you know, the therapy team and school and whoever else is is helping you out, the books that you've read, um, yeah, I did a great job. I did a great job. And my child may have had the worst day they've had in a year, but that doesn't change the fact that, you know, I can look back at things within my control and know that I did well.
1: It's easy for parents to base their worth on how their kids are doing. And it's so important to separate, but very hard to do. And, and to let things just roll off, to really separate from like your child's bad day, whatever that means. It doesn't even mean like bad behavior. I'm using air quotes, you know, but just Whatever happened with your child and the roller coaster that they might be on medically or psychologically, to not ride that roller coaster with them, it's hard. It's really hard. And it just takes pausing, I feel like, like pausing, observing what's going on with you, and just being curious about it versus like pouncing on yourself about however the day went.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's the, the secret sauce to mental health right there, <laughs> you know, to just really focus your time and effort on the things that are within your control and to recognize that other people, even the people we love most deeply have their own stuff going on. And, you know, a child behaving badly does not mean that they are, you know, badly in air quotes, does not mean that they've been parented poorly, right? It, it could mean any number of things, probably the most likely of which is just they're being asked you know, demand something demanded of them that they don't have the skills to do or the environment is too much for them and they are overwhelmed. And how they're acting is the only way that they can let us know that, right? They're they're out of skills, they're out of tools to communicate more effectively. And so but does that mean that you did a terrible job as a parent? No. It means both of you are human.
1: So true. That's such a good reminder, Rose. Such a good reminder. We need to tell all first time moms and moms who are early in the journey this information so that they don't, you know, put so much pressure on themselves.
0: I think it's a little bit of a a ruby slipper scenario, unfortunately, that for all the good intentions that, you know, wiser people further along the journey can share, there is some amount of, you have to live it and you have to be able to recognize oh, I am in an unhealthy place with my, my self-talk and my expectations and my boundaries, all the things, and I need to find some new ways to approach because this is not sustainable. I talk a lot in my practice about a lot of parents hit that point, and it's when they call me is they realize, oh, I've been sprinting, but this is in fact a marathon, and I can't keep this pace up for you know another 20, however many miles it is, and I need to find some effective ways to slow down my mind and my worries and to, you know, sustain my energy for what I'm realizing now is going to be a very long journey.
1: Right. Rose, based on everything that you know and what you've seen and what you've witnessed in families, if you could wave a magic wand and create more resources for caregivers or families, like what goes through your mind, like in your dream, if you could affect change for caregivers?
0: I think a lot of the things we've already talked about are are things that definitely... That's such a great question, by the way. I love that. Are things that that definitely come to mind, right? That idea of a weekend away is probably not as effective towards your self-care as a few intentional minutes every single day. Realizing the power of persistence with some of this stuff. You know, that, oh, I'm really working on my positive self-talk. Well, understanding there's going to be a day where you don't get it right, right? There's going to be a time where you just... Get overwhelmed. I tell this people this all the time. You know, I teach parenting stuff. I went to graduate school for this. I'm constantly doing continuing ed around it. Do I lose it on my kids and target sometimes? Absolutely. <laughs> like it just happens. We're all human, we're all doing our best. Does that mean that I stop trying? No, not at all. It just means, oh, I realize, you know, I forgot to eat lunch that day. Food is a more critical part of my self-care than I thought. And kids, I'm so sorry. That's what happens when people don't take care of themselves you know, let's work through it and move on. Um, you know, just realizing that if, if you get some of this stuff, quote unquote wrong, or you don't do it as well as you feel you could, all of these things are, are about progress over perfection.
1: Mm, So good. Yes. We're going to say that again, progress over perfection. Thank you, Rose. Well, it's so good to have this time with you and like I said at the beginning, you're my hero. And anyone who chooses to work in this community, I so thank you. So thank you. Because we need like 100,000 more of you.
0: (laughs) Especially uh, in COVID times. This has been a rough few years for everyone. And for anybody listening, if you're thinking of going into mental health and you think you have the skills for it, please do it. We need you. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yes. Yes. And if anyone is out there listening wondering if they should go to therapy. Yes. It's worth talking to a therapist to see if this is what you need at this time.
0: There's something magical that happens, you know, I, cause people will say all the time, like, Oh my gosh, that's so simple. Why didn't I think of that? And it's like, cause you're living it. You're in the middle of the problem. I'm standing over here on the outside and that's what you're paying for, right? You, you have a professional listener and observer in your corner to say, hey, I notice you keep doing this. Have you thought about maybe trying this instead? Let's give that a whirl. And then I'm going to remember to ask you about it next week because I care, right? And I, I want you to have that accountability. I, you know, there's still some stigma around therapy, but that's, that's really what it is. It's talking to somebody who is dedicated to hearing your story and helping you live more authentically within your values. That's all it is.
1: Well, thank you, Rose. Thank you so much. And yeah, I can't even thank you enough for all that you do. So keep doing it. If you could do us a great favor by leaving a review and a rating, it helps our podcast get into the ears of more and more moms. Also, if you have never joined the international community and sisterhood of We Are Brave Together, go to our website, wearebravetogether.org, to be a part. We are here to support you and validate you, encourage you, and give you resources for your journey as a mom. Thanks so much for listening.